Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message from Stonebridge United Methodist Church. We hope it encourages you to live and love like Jesus. Hello, my name is Francine Holbein, and I'll be reading from Luke 2, 1 through 7. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea in Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Francine, thank you for reading the scripture today. So, uh, Christmas at home. Uh, we've been in this series now. This is the third week. Where, where have we been so far? You know, we've been looking at each of the different Gospels and their description of the birth of Jesus. How does the good news begin? Because each one is different. And so we've been looking at those things, and we've also been imagining what kind of home that would inspire so we looked in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, Mark doesn't really have, a, of course, a birth narrative. It just, it just starts in with Jesus. As a matter of fact, it, it says uh, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the genesis. The word beginning is the word genesis. The beginning, the genesis of the good news of Jesus Christ is where Mark starts. And, and for him, the good news has all to do with his connection to John the Baptist and, and beyond. So there's not even a birth narrative in Mark, and so we just, well, a tiny house is what Mark would have in terms of the, the beginning of uh, Jesus. There's just the essentials, just straightforward, here's the facts, what you need to know. In Matthew, uh, Matthew is the one with the very long genealogy that is in the first chapter. And, and part of what we see in, in Matthew is the teaching that, that God has been at work for a very long time, and that God can work instantaneously, sure, but God works so often through generations, generation upon generation upon generation. And so we imagined a Victorian home, that the kind of home that you look at and you think, man, that home's got to have a ton of stories in it. And it's one of those that's been in the family for a long time. That, that seems like a Matthew kind of house. And today we look at the gospel of Luke. Now, Luke is the, is the warm, fuzzy gospel, the warm, fuzzy story of the uh, birth of Jesus, at least in our imaginations, that's what it is. You know, the families, there's family, extended families gathered together in Bethlehem. A baby is born. They swaddle that baby in a blanket. There are angels that make the announcement to shepherds out at night about the good news Shepherds then come to visit this baby. They, come, they, they want to come see this child. And then a drummer boy comes out. Okay, no, that's not in the Bible. That's not in the Bible. There's no drummer boy in the Bible. In case you didn't know that. But you see, that, that's, that's part of the challenge. When we think of the Christmas story, part of the challenge is, is that 
We've imagined this in so many different ways. We've heard it portrayed in so many different songs we, that our imagination sometimes kind of, can kind of get away from us, but it also can kind of get in the way of seeing what the gospel really says, what, it, what the point it's really trying to make. So we're going we're gonna to look at a couple of things today. One is uh, we're going we're gonna to see that uh, three times Luke puts a time stamp in his gospel. Three different times. So in, in the first chapter, in the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah. In the time of King Herod. Okay, so there's one time stamp. In chapter 2, I, I just read this. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This is when Quirinius was governor of Syria. Very specific, right? Well, in chapter 3, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod was tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip tetrarch of... I mean, it just kept... it goes on and on. So it's not just, oh, sometime during... no, in the 15th year. Very specific. When the gospel writers did this, you got to think, okay, what's the reason? Why the time stamp? I mean, he could have maybe connected it to some other historical events... We have to remember part of the message of Luke is always in the context of the Roman Empire. It's in the context of the Roman Empire. And the theme throughout the Gospel of Luke is that those who are high and mighty will be brought low. And those who are low and powerless will be lifted up. Over and over, that's that's the theme throughout Luke. And so here you have the story of the most vulnerable human of all, a baby who's born and who will challenge the Roman Empire. That's a pretty big message that we often kind of overlook. Luke also wants to make sure we see all the way through the gospel, but especially in this story, wants to help us to see how humans are viewed, how that's depicted in the Bible. And according to the Roman Empire, humans are a means to an end. Humans are a means to an end. I mean, after all, the reason they're in Bethlehem is to register for the census, to be counted. And they would do that so that they could change the taxation of the people. It wasn't just, we know you people are really important, we want you to gather in your families, we want to make sure we know where you are and who you are. No, it's so we can tax you. (laughs) They're a means to to an end. God views humans very differently. God views humans very differently. I mean, we're part of God's creation. God said, very good. Psalm 8 says, we are little lower than the angels. God has a high esteem for humans, right? God created us wants us to have a relationship with God, wants us to have a relationship with one another, we have high, high value. The angel said to the shepherds, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. For all the people. Including the folks, according to the Romans, who are the poor and powerless. 
Luke is telling his community, and we've talked about this in the, in the, in the different Gospels, they're, they're, they're writing and speaking to a particular community of people. And Luke wants to make sure the people hear very, very clearly that God delights in you. God delights in you. You're not just a means to an end in God's eyes. God delights in you. The community of God. So that's quite a contrast to the, to the Roman Empire's approach that God delights in humans, all the people. In, in, uh, we see this, of course, in Luke chapter 2. We, we saw this in Mark a couple of weeks ago. We talked about how at Jesus' baptism and at the transfiguration there was God's voice from the heavens saying, this is my son, my beloved, in him I am well pleased. That God delighted in Jesus. God delights in humans. So we might wonder, what kind of house does this inspire? Well, before we really get there, we have to, we have to take a look at what was going on in Bethlehem at the time. Because again, our imagination sometimes imagines some things that don't happen exactly that way. I mean, they're there for the census. Told to go to your hometown, the, the town of your family's origin. Go back there to register for the census. And so, when they get back to Bethlehem, they're among extended family. You know, some, some families have very large family systems, and, and certain cultures really emphasize the extended family to where you keep up with your second cousin uh, as much as you do your sibling. I mean, everybody's connected. And so, <clears throat> excuse me. And so they're back in Bethlehem among extended family. Part of the imagination of, of, of Mary and Joseph looking for a place to stay is them, you know, wandering down, you know, I, I imagine that wandering down this isolated street and, it, and then it's windswept and it's lonely and it's cold and there's a tumbleweed that goes across the. Okay, not a tumbleweed, but you know, you. Right, and, and they go hotel to hotel, place to place, looking for a room, and everything says, no, no, no we, got, we got no rooms. And they're turned away by a cruel innkeeper. Well, it probably didn't happen that way. For one thing, in the first century, in that part of the world, they didn't really have inns. They didn't really have inns, like we think of. Now, when this, when this first got translated, it was translated in Europe, at a time where inns were pretty common. And if you were traveling you were in a town, you, were, you could probably rent a room that likely was upstairs above a pub. And so when it got translated, it became easy to think, oh, there was no place for them to stay. Oh, right, like if you, we traveled to that town and they were full up, right? The word, however, should, should be translated guest room. Guest room. It's the same word that Jesus uses when he tells his disciples just before what we call the Last Supper. He's going to celebrate Passover with them one more time before he's arrested. So he tells them, go, there's, there's the guy, and he's got the donkey, and we'll get that and ask him, where is the guest room where we can gather? It's the same word in the Greek that is used here, guest room. So we've got to think, so, we got to know a little bit about the houses uh, in that day and time. Um, so the houses were such that there was always a space in the house where they could bring their animals in. You've got to remember, these were poor people. These were poor people. 
they didn't have large herds of anything. What animals they had were necessary for their survival. So their animals were precious. And so you wanted to protect them at night. So you wanted, to ha- you wanted them to be in a place where they could be uh, warm and protected from the weather, certainly. They, they would not wander off. They would not be stolen. That a wild animal wouldn't attack them. And so there was, the way they built their homes was there was a place inside the walls of the home where they would bring their animals at night. That was pretty, that was pretty typical. It wasn't a barn, you know, a barn makes sense to us. <laughs> you know, we're going to keep our animals in the barn out back. No, it wasn't a barn. It was in the house. And in the house there would be a, a room that would be kind of just a, one room where everything would happen. Everything would happen in that room. And then some homes would have an additional room behind it where you could, that could be maybe the room where the family would sleep. But if you had somebody who came to visit, that would be the guest room. We'll sleep here. And during a time when even everybody's guest rooms were full, I have a feeling there was more than one house in Bethlehem during that time period where somebody else had to sleep with the animals. There was just no room. No one had any, room, any extra guest rooms. And so while they were there, Mary, who was expecting, obviously, I just I had this imagination that she one day just kind of gasped in pain and kind of bent over. It's happening. It's happening. The baby's going to be born here. And I imagine the family was just excited. That everybody around was just like, yeah, I mean, you know, kind of flurry of activity and all kinds of conversation and noise, but then just excited the, the baby was born here. In the in the context of this extended family, grateful for the successful birth of a baby. So I just I when I think of what what house does this inspire for us, I just think of that kind of a house uh, where where the family gathers every year. It's not necessarily a super fancy house or a super big house. Just it's whatever house it is. It's just but it's where everybody comes together and all the beds are taken and somebody's sleeping on the couch and someone's in the recliner and the kids are sleeping under a tent fort, a blanket fort, you know, by the TV. And there's decorations all over the place, but they're not designer decorations. They're not fancy decorations. They're, they're the kind of decorations that every one of them has a story. And it's not unusual for the family to point one out and say, oh, I remember that. Remember, remember when you made that? Remember when aunt so-and-so gave us this? Remember when our neighbor made this for us? Those kinds of decorations. And the outside would be decorated too. Again, not designer. They didn't hire a service to come and decorate the outside of the house. But it was, but it was, it was, it was pretty nevertheless. And there was a lot of decorating. And, and uh, the community loved to drive by and see the house and see it decorated. But what stood out the most was that it wasn't the decorations that were so important to this family. It, it wasn't the, they were part of the celebration, but they weren't the point. The community also remembers that's the family that they come out and serve hot chocolate when people are driving by looking at the lights on their house. And, and that's the family every year. They serve at the thing. And that's the, they just, they're, they're just so, and everybody loves this family because 
not for the decorations. I just love this family because this family loves everybody. Loves everybody. The kind of family that they don't meet a stranger, the kind of family that, that they might meet you somewhere and say, well, why don't you just come over and have dinner with us tonight? Sure, you can borrow my wheelbarrow. Of course you can. I mean, it's that kind of family. But the decorations are secondary because really there's nothing worse than being at a place that's highly decorated and realizing that the most important thing in this room is the decorations. Luke wants to make sure that people know God delights in you. In you. So you may, you may have a place in your life that you think of in this description. Might be, might be where you were, the home you were raised in. Might be uh, a relative's house you used to love to go to. Might be your home right now. I don't know. But that place that's just so full of love and connection to one another and to God, you just, you just want to be there. You'll sleep on the floor. It's okay. I'll sleep on the floor. So, one, one more story. And this story, this is, this is not a Christmas story, but it just fits really well. I, I realized I could have changed it and made it a Christmas story, but then I'd, I'd be fabricating it. So, uh, so a friend of mine was telling me about this. He had gone to his in-law's house on a 4th of July holiday. Well, so had all the other grown kids and the grandchildren, and so it was a house full. And they all stayed in the house, and it was not a particularly big house, but they all crammed in there, all stayed in the house. And he said, the woman, the, the, the mother, grandmother, her name was Barbara, and he said she loved to a garden. And he said her backyard just looks like it came out of a magazine. It's just beautiful. The flowers and the trees and the grass and the ivy and the... It's just stunning. And he, he said now that she's retired, she's out there every day doing stuff. And she just loves it. And he says, just beautiful. So he was saying that one day while they, were, while they were all there, he happened to go into the kitchen and he looked out the window into the backyard and he saw the kids, the grandkids, including his own children, out there pulling flowers. And he, he kind of panicked. And he was like, Barbara, Barbara, the, ki- the kids, they're, they're picking, they're getting your flowers. Much to his surprise, she did not barge out the back door and tell those kids to stop pulling. He said she just stood beside him and she just broke into this big smile and said, well, they sure are having fun, aren't they? It was clear that she delighted in her grandchildren. She loved flowers. She loved the garden. That was not the point. The point was, grandkids. When I think of this story, I think of, uh, when I think of Luke, the way Luke tells this, I think of if we were in Luke's Christmas home, God would take delight in us being there with him. Let's pray. God, we're, we're grateful for this tremendous love that you have for us. We're grateful for the ways that you um, reach out to us in the ways that you um, express that love to us, especially in the, in the person, the birth of your son, Jesus. 
Oh God, we thank you for that great love that you have for us and pray that we would express that love to one another, that your love would translate to our love for others. God, may, may this season be a time that we recognize, can grasp somehow the great love that you have for us. That it would not be just about the decorations and about the busyness, but it would be about truly celebrating your love. We thank you, God, for, the, for Luke's story. We thank you for the ways that Matthew tells the story. We thank you for Mark. Thank you for John. For all the different aspects, the facets that we learn about your story, the birth of your son through the scripture. Help us to more and more live and embody that love. We do so in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Stonebridge United Methodist Church. You are invited to worship with us every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. For more information, visit our website, mysumc.org. Have a blessed day.